This is the Monetize Everything Podcast, a place where people just like you can learn how to build wealth, improve personal finances, and start an online business all online. Now, here's your host, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, George Pitts. All right, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. We have a great, great guest today. We have Miss Stephanie, the founder of Finances on Point, uh, one of the top brands on Instagram for personal finance uh, that we want to welcome to the show today. She's going to give us some great, great knowledge on a lot of different topics based around finances. Miss Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's, it's a beautiful day outside. Spring is finally here. So it is. I'm 100. Now, my allergies ain't liking it, but, you know, they'll get over <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> yeah, these these uh, the springtime allergies—they get me every time, but they'll get it'll adjust in another week or so. So yeah, yeah, you'll get used to it. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying. <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little bit about about you and about the finances on point brand. Like, how did that come to be? So yeah, thank you. So I am um, a certified financial educator real estate investor, and the creator of Finances on Point, where I empower women to create wealth through financial discipline and multiple streams of income so they can live life on their terms. However, before I got there, um, I was actually what I would call a shopaholic, right? So I ended up, um, you know, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, in a single parent household, and we really didn't talk about money other than we don't have it. Money doesn't grow on trees. And I heard the word no probably more than I wanted to growing up. And that sounds um, like my household, but I didn't live with you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, of course, you know, my mother did the best that she could. And she gave me the basic needs that I, I wanted or needed at the time. But, you know, your wants exceed your needs. And so I made a promise to myself um, that when I become an adult, nobody can tell me no. Mm. So I will get anything that I want because I'll be working and I can pay for it. Um, so also with being in a single parent household, um, you know, my mother didn't have a lot, so I didn't have any money for college. So the way that I paid for college, I received a full scholarship to Hampton University through the military. So the exchange there was that I had to serve for eight years after I graduated from school. But sure enough, after I graduated, I kept the promise to myself. And I ended up uh, buying any and everything that I can think about. Um, after I transitioned out of the military, I wound up with, you know, about 60K of debt and uh, not realizing that I was on a path of financial destruction at the time. Um, back in college, before I switched my major to finance, um, I was introduced to a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And... It just it sparked a little light bulb in my head as to, you know, you can buy all of these properties and you don't have to go the traditional route. Um, however, if you don't have someone to help guide you through that process or you see other people doing it, you can fall into the trap of consumerism. And that's what I did. Um, so I found myself back in this in this place in 2015 of about sixty thousand dollars in debt. And nowhere close to buying any type of rental property and moving out of this situation. And I was in a job that I didn't enjoy at the time. Um, and I found myself in all of this debt. And I made a decision 
that I was going to change my life and change my financial trajectory and move in a different direction. And so within 18 months, I paid off about $40,000 of that money. And then a year after that, I ended up buying and owning five rental units. Um, So I started my journey to build wealth. And so um, during this time, I had thought about finances on point for a while. And it took me up until really late last year that I decided that I was going to make this platform for people to talk about money and to ask questions and not be fearful and to step out on faith and basically go after creating wealth for not only you, but for your family. Um, So finances on point, um, we open it up for people to ask questions. I want to empower women to learn about money, to take control of your money, because essentially we can decide how we live. We can decide the money that we pass on to to the next generation. Um, So that's kind of where where it all started from and how I ended up with finances on point. So I really just want to empower the masses to go out and create wealth because we can make that choice. Wow, that's dope. So you're telling me that finances on point was started a year ago? No, finances on point is really um, coming up on four months. Now, I will say that, yes, I will say that the seed was planted about four years ago. Okay. Four years ago. But, um, you know, I, once I started to get my finances in order and I started listening to different podcasts and, you know, seeing that, you know, this was happening and people were sharing this information. And I went to this conference called FinCon down in Orlando. I stepped out on faith, um, went to the conference completely by myself, didn't know anybody. And I was just like, I'm just going to see what it's like. And the power of being in a network of people um, that have that same energy and want to do the same things and are doing great things in the community just gives you the inspiration to say, yes, I can do it too. Um, And so that happened in September, in December. Um, I currently work for the government. So I was furloughed, you know, for those 30 something days. Uh, And honestly, um, you know, that, that really was kind of the catalyst because, again, even if I work for the government, what they consider to be one of the most secure jobs in America, that they didn't pay employees for two paychecks, not because the employees didn't want to work, but because they were having issues on Congress and with the president. So they put all of these families in jeopardy. And I was one of those 800,000 um, that didn't get paid. However, like I said, I had already purchased the rental properties and I had turned my, my situation around. So I was like, now is the time. This is the message. Let's go. Like this is a prime example of why we need to create our own future and protect ourselves and not rely on a job. So finances on point went live January 24th of this year. Wow. So you've got literally over 5,000 followers and literally the last four months. That is incredible. That is Thank incredible. You. It is yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's been organic, organic. And, you know, I've, you know, I told my friends and actually, um, it took a while for me to actually like invite my friends and on my personal page, you know, share that message. So it really was just with people that I really didn't know, um, and connecting with people at FinCon and we would share each other's messages out there. 
Um, but I'm, I'm very, I'm inspired that the message is resonating with people and that they're starting to see and, and, and want to join the movement. So, yeah. I tell you but we're what, just getting started. <laughs> I tell you what, ever since that I've got connected to the, the finance community, that is yeah. one of the most supportive communities I've ever been a part of, ever. I, look, I, I'm not a sponsor for FinCon or affiliate of FinCon, <laughs> but I, I will say that was um, one of the best conferences that I've ever attended and a conference like no other. Because like you said, everybody was open to share. Everybody was mentoring. They would tell you how they do this. How do you work with this person? How have you been, you know, how have you done your YouTube channel, et cetera? It was just completely open, an open book. Um, so I, I encourage, you know, I told you about it too. So anybody I'm, I'm I talk there. to, and I'm <laughs> I was like, do you know about this conference? Because if not, you need to come. <laughs> I'm, I'm there this year. It's in D.C. this year. And, uh, it I'm, is in DC. Yeah, I, I'm all in. Like, not only that, but I even applied to be a speaker. So I'm like, Oh, you I, went? Yes. I, I love went it. All the way. I went all the way. Like, as soon as you told me, I was on the website as soon as I got back to the house and I was doing everything. Oh, that's I excellent. Found my hotel, booked it. Uh, I got some friends in DC connected with yeah. them. I mean, it's it's all, you know, everything, that's right. everything's ready. So, you know, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see you in my area. Yay. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> and it's my first time in DC and it's it's really my first time on the East Coast. I've gone to the West Coast a lot and all through the South and North, but I've never yeah. been to the East Coast. So this is gonna be an experience for me. <laughs> it it will be it, it'll be a lot to take in, I'll tell you that. I yeah, that. I'm ready for it though. I'm ready. I'm ready. Like ever since I've been a part of that community, getting in the group. Uh, on Facebook, getting connected with the Instagram page. I've had more people start to follow me, respond to mm-hmm. my stuff, share it, like it. I had some people, it's like, oh, follow this guy. You know, like, you you know, you can see like responses from uh, from your stories. It is mm-hmm. all the people from that community. And I'm like, man, I've been a part of this online business community. I've been a part of, you know, the stock invest community. And I've never seen this much camaraderie in yeah. such a short period of time than I have with any other community I've been a part of. And now I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm like, man, this is this is awesome. And I love it because um, it's good to see that there's other people out there that have a different take on finances Yeah, uh, that have the same thing. Because for so long, and I'm not going to mention any names, but for so long, finances has had like a face to it, right? Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. that face, a lot of us millennials, I guess you could say, and I don't like to really refer to myself as a millennial a lot of times. But Why not? I'm, I'm a millennial. I, I am too, but you know... <laughs> I, I, there's some younger ones, man, that, but I don't know. It's, I, I, you know, it's, I guess it's an identity crisis, but you have to embrace it. I'm embracing it now because I'm embracing it now because, you know, w- there's some things that we don't agree with on some stuff. Like one of the things mm-hmm. I saw a post of yours a while back and, uh, it, I was just, I was screaming like, yeah, you should not stop at a thousand dollar emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Like what? What do you? What is a thousand dollars going to do to you if you really mm-hmm. have like an emergency, like a furlough or anything mm-hmm. like that? Like you got to keep going. I, I was telling people, I do a lot of reading on statistics, a lot of reading, mm-hmm. and one of the readings that uh, one of the things that I came across is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, which is a gov- which which is an entity um, 
nationally that measures uh, all the the unemployment rates and all the statistics with people staying on a full-time job in specific industries. I mean, like very, very micro statistics on just about everything that comes to employment in the U.S. Mm -hmm. They stated that the average person stays on a job the average of four, uh, about four and a half to five years, right? Whether either the job um, lays someone off around that time or someone just decides to move because they want a better opportunity, more money or whatever that situation is. And so one of the things that I've always told people is that you should always try to focus on saving about three months worth of expenses a year minimum. Now, of course, if you can save more, by all means, do it. But you should focus on saving somewhere around three months a year because if you're on a job for about four to four and a half years and you're saving three months of your expenses every month or every, excuse me, every year, uh, you would have over a year's worth of expenses. If something came up to where you lost your job at that four year mark or, or something like that to where right. you can kind of regroup, get yourself together, look for the right opportunity because you know what happens whenever we, when someone loses a job and they really don't have anything to fall back on, they take whatever opportunity gets presented to them and it ends up becoming mm-hmm. a disaster after that. Uh, right. Then their resume gets all jacked up because they take something for a period of time until something else better comes along. And then it's kind of like that keeps happening into a cycle over the next year or two before they find the right thing. But they've got like six or seven jobs in between. Right. So that thousand dollars can really be like a whirlwind of, of problems when you stop there. Cause you got a lot of people like, okay, I made a thousand and then they don't focus on that fund again because they're so busy focusing on the next things to do. And I just think that, you right. Know, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I completely like, I, I, I preach that and I've been preaching that. And even on my, my debt pay down journey, I say in one of the posts that I had that, you know, I had, more than a thousand dollars before I started really being aggressive with paying down the debt. And the furlough is a very relevant recent experience of you have a lot of what we call high paid um, employees. And if they didn't get paid for one paycheck, they were wondering how are they going to pay their mortgage? And in this area, in the DC area, it's hard pressed to find a place that you're going to pay a thousand dollars for your mortgage or your rent. So to me, um, I, I think it is, you're setting yourself up for a, a situation that is preventable when you do that. And I think I, I understand why a thousand dollars is kind of that first mark, that goal, like, yes, because I know people struggle to get to a thousand dollars, but I, I need people to know that that is not the end point. Like you get to a thousand, but you have to keep going because right. you need to be able to sustain yourself. And a thousand dollars, I don't know where you sustain um, if something were to happen with employment or a, a, a major emergency. I so agree. completely agree. So I am touting that message. You're touting that message. So hopefully that starts to, you know, wake people up about you know, needing to have more to protect yourself. I, I think it is because I'm seeing more people, um, I'm seeing more people kind of responding to that, you know, because mm-hmm. I've, I've heard a lot of people like, yeah, you know, I've had a thousand dollars sitting in this account for like a year, but I don't know what else to do. You know, like, what should I do with it? I'm like, well, you need to keep adding to it. You know? Right. Cause a lot of right. people, it's like, there's, there, there's not another, you don't hear about, okay, well, what's the next step with that fund? After that, you just go straight to the next thing. And then you just continue to go down the road to where that fund is like, 
okay, there's a thousand dollars there, but then you, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind at that point, because you've got so many other things in front of you. And I tell people all the time, you know, you want to find a way to continue to add to it. Uh, my rule of thumb is, you know, until of course you're debt free, you should try to find a way to, to, to put at least 15% of what you make into, into that fund. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 15% is pretty solid. And, um, you know, we pay the government, what is it? 22% for some, for some tax brackets up to 24%, I think is what it yes. is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if we can, if we can afford to pay, you know, well, it's not like we can afford to, we have to, <laughs> you <laughs> if will we pay. have to, yeah, <laughs> if we have to pay 22 or 24%, why can't we pay ourselves 15? I mean, why does everyone, I mean, there's some people that literally work 40 plus hours a week and they mm-hmm. don't get they don't get any part of their money. Like everybody else gets, gets a piece of it. And by the time they finish, it's like, they're just stuck with a few dollars left. And, you know, that'll segue into the next part that I want to talk to you about, uh, which is about building wealth is so important because, you know, you can't just depend on one source of income anymore. I mean, you know, utilities are going up. I mean, every couple of months I get a statement in the mail, like, Hey, here, you know, and they send you this piece of paper that says, check out our new rates. And no one mm-hmm. ever looks at that, you know, but it's the kilometers. Like it went from this much a cent per kilometer to now it's this much. Those things matter because those companies are increasing like twice a year on that. And most people don't pay attention to it because they're like, oh, it's just a few cents. But if that's happening twice a year for over the period of 10 years, that could be 2 to $3 a kilowatt, you know, over a period of time, which explains why your bills continue to increase. So bills are not going down for anyone you know, I don't, I don't foresee the utility company saying, Hey, we're going to lower our prices. And I don't see that happening. You know, internet, all that stuff, everything's going up. So you've got to be prepared for that because 3% and 5% increases do not keep up with inflation. And it It does not. It does not. You say these bills are too high and the companies are going to make their money. And so we need to also look at, our financial situations as our own company, right? Is you right. incorporated or your last name incorporated. And right. so you need to be in charge of increasing your net worth and the income that you bring in through multiple sources and not through your job. You need to be able to control how the money flows into your household and you don't own a job, right? You don't own it. So mm-hmm. you need to <laughs> you need to focus on controlling things where you can determine how much comes in, what the expenses are, mm-hmm. um, and how much cash flow you have from that. And that's Absolutely. important. And we don't talk about that enough, right? I think that's, that's the issue. We, we focus on earning and through a job rather than creating income through other means. And you're absolutely right. And the way that they've structured education, it doesn't teach you that. I mean, I remember before I changed my major in college, I was a business administration major. Stephanie, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what a LLC, a corporation, an S corp or any of that was until about 10 years later. They didn't teach me that. They taught you about how to run somebody else's business, but not how to start a business. So, you know, I was telling people last night on on a broadcast I did, on uh, Periscope that, you know, they, the 1% like everything, like, likes everyone to be just good consumers, mm-hmm. Go work, you know, get your paycheck, pay your bills and then come and buy our stuff. You know, they don't like disruptors, you know, um, but everybody was one at one point. If you look at it, retail was just kind of mellow when 
Wolves were Sears and Benjamin Franklin's and all those were in. Then you got this guy that comes in that was a part of Benjamin Franklin named Sam Walton that decided to cut prices and have a mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, and he disrupted it. But then he got integrated into the 1%, and him and his family and his kids became, okay, let's keep everything mellow. Everybody just, you know, come here, no disruption. Then you got a guy named Jeff Bezos that comes in. And he totally changes things, disrupts it. Now he's integrated. People don't want to see disruptors. They want to see people be good consumers. So education is set up that way, you know, and you can't tell me that these people that are making millions of dollars of donation are just donating for the tax benefits. No, (laughs) they are. They have influence on the education, on the on the uh, the curriculum and all that kind of stuff. You know, like I said, it's crazy that I went through college as a business administration major and never learned about business formations, tax brackets, any of that stuff that involves business. I just learned really about how to be a good manager or director or something like that. Someone else's organ. Here's how you do payroll. Here's how you interview people. Here's how you uh, do conflict. Um, you know, stuff like that, but it wasn't mm-hmm. anything to do with how to start my own business, which is the whole reason I went for a business admin degree. That is so interesting and very true. And and through that education, you aspire to be, you know, VP or, you know, just climbing the corporate ranks. Right. Um, right. And that becomes your, your dream and not realizing that you can create your own corporation and exactly. you can be the founder and CEO the person in charge. And yeah, that, that's interesting that that's, and that's a very good point. They didn't teach entrepreneurship mm-hmm. under business administration. Just mm. like in, in, in math and high school and, and even college, they didn't teach you how to balance a checkbook. You know, Hello. I bounced more, ch- I bounced so many checks that you, that my checks look like basketballs by the time, you know, I got to where I understood how to balance the book because I didn't learn that in my family either. You know, my grandmother was the bank for everybody. People, when we had mm-hmm. money, we would give it to grandma and she had all these pockets in her purse and she would put, okay, here, grandma, I want to put this hundred dollars back. She'd have a pocket just for that grandchild or that, or that child. And they would, she would put the money in there and it wouldn't. And when you came back for it, it was there. Wow. Um, that was our bank, you know, growing up now, not everyone's family was like that, but that's how ours was. So we didn't know anything about checking or savings. And I wasn't really taught that. And so whenever I decided to open up a checking account when I became an adult, I didn't know how to manage it. I would just, you know, write the check and write the check. And, you know, it took three or four days to get there. So in my mindset, I was like, okay, I don't have the money in there now, but I get paid in two days. So if I write this check, everything's going to be good. And before you know it, the check might hit a day before payday because Mm -hmm. my math was off or just processed quicker and boom, $35 plus the cost of the, plus the, the charge. There you go. Same thing happened to me in college as well. So I didn't, I was, I switched over to a finance uh, degree, but I took one personal finance class, my, like the second semester of my senior year. So, you know, I was almost out the door. I'm just trying to (laughs) figure this out so I can graduate. Um, But I was, you know, just spending money and, and thankfully my mother was able to, you know, she was able to deposit some money into my accounts, but every time she said she would deposit money, it would end up being a zero balance because I'd already withdrawn all <laughs> the money, had all these fees and any money that she put in there, like I still didn't have any money because they allowed me to keep using money and just charging me the fees on top of it. That's so how it was they just make a, their money. a cycle. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's how they make their money. I mean, you know, a lot of people think that the bank has all the money, and that's not true. The U.S. Treasury is where the money's at. The right. banks use your money to invest into other things that give them bigger returns, and they give you less than 1%, but also they make a lot of their money off of overdraft fees. Now they're doing some monthly maintenance fees, Mm-hmm. Um, and different things like that. A lot of people think, oh, money's at the bank. No. When you go and take a loan, you have about a million plus people that are a part of that bank that have their money in there that a little bit of their money is securing that loan, right? Because mm-hmm. they have a lot of algorithms in place to say, okay, this person withdraws about this much money a month. So they know what they can, you know, invest or put out or or loan or whatever. But, you know, we don't see a lot of that return is what the bank is. And, and that's something that people have got to understand. You know, banks are here to help you save money or make money. They're here to make money, period. <laughs> you know, period. And, and we have to start thinking like a bank. Exactly. Right? So now that we we know that's what they're doing, we can do the same thing. But the advertisers have you believing that your credit cards are for you to have fun and for you to just, ex, you know, ex, overextend your lifestyle and take all these vacations, et cetera, and take out these loans just so you can consume right. rather than, you know, if, if you think like a bank, then you, if you know how to use debt properly, that should be making you money, not right. costing you money. Exactly. So that's but that's what they teach you right to go and spend have a good time you're working you can pay for it and just keep paying us back and it's fine it's Mm -hmm. fine just continue to do that and we'll take in all these interest payments (laughs) from you right and yeah that's that's a whole nother ball game there's a way that you can you can win that battle in some cases but you got to be smart about it but for the most part that game is set up for one person to win now there is a back door to it but you've got to be very strict with it. And excuse me, but a lot of people, they don't think about it like that. Right. With that being said, what do you think is the biggest problem that people have when it comes to getting their personal finances on point? Not believing that they can be wealthy, Mm. not knowing that they have a, a choice in the matter. Because your condition, as we talk about, we talked about to get a job and buy all these things and live your best life. And that's how you live the rest of your life. You rely on this company if they have a retirement plan that they will retire you when they say you're eligible for retirement. Mm-hmm. And whatever money that you know you have left over, that's what you can pass on to the next generation. And when you realize that wealth is a choice and a decision, it changes things. You start moving differently. You think differently and you start looking at how can I create to change the situation? So I think that's the biggest downfall and and really the aha moment for me, um, because really I decided to get in all this debt. I decided to buy all of this stuff. Why can't I decide to do something different? So I think that is, you know, kind of the the number one thing that keeps us in the rat race in the cycle. And and it's knowing that, not knowing that you can choose to be wealthy. Right. Wow. I I love that. And I think that that is, I think that is right on par. Um, We have been conditioned to think that unless you win the lottery, um, you just get a good paying job with good benefits and you buy a house and you buy a car and you are doing well, 
You know, as long as you can pay for it, you're doing well. You know, when you hear about, oh, how such and such do it? Oh, they're doing real good. They just bought a house and Mm -hmm. they they both got these new cars and they got good jobs. And, you know, and listen, let me say this too, because I can see kind of where this could end, where this could be taken. We are not saying that having a job is a bad thing because it is a great thing. But what we're saying is that you want to maximize the, the, the benefits of what that job gives you. First of all, that job gives you a little bit of a foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you an, an income that you know when you're going to get it and, and most of the time how much it's going to be. So it gives you the opportunity to plan. See, what people don't understand about having a job and having something that's you know, somewhat, um, you know, somewhat you know, reliable is that it gives you the opportunity to plan for building wealth. Yes. I mean, you know, okay, this is how much I'm going to get. These are what my expenses are. If I can pay, I mean, because this is how I took, whenever I was going through the whole journey of paying a lot of stuff off, I said, okay, if I pay this off, this off, and this off, my bills will go from, and I'm just throwing this number out, 3000 a month to $2,200 a month. And if I'm bringing in, you know, I don't know, $6,000, $5,000 a month or whatever, this is how much money I'm going to have left over. If I save this much money, this is what I can go and do. I can, I can invest it in this. I can invest it in that. But I know that now that my monthly expenses have decreased, as long as I don't take on any more debt, if something happened with you know my income to where I had to take a, a, a lower paying job or something, I'm going to be good because my lifestyle is not built around that income. And that's what we do. We build our lifestyle around the income that we get and as our income adjusts and increases over time, whether it's from promotion or just our regular three to five percent a year, we continue to adjust to that rate instead of allowing that to continue to increase. Because if you really look at it, if a person stays on a job, let's just say 10 years and they get one or two promotions that give them maybe five to 10 percent of an increase on top of just their three percent. Even if it was just three percent, let's just say that the average person sees a 30 percent increase in income over that period of time, not to mention potential promotions and stuff that might bump that up a little higher. Yet mm-hmm. you still have people from the time that they started that employment to the time that they got to that 10 year mark or beyond that are still living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? You know, mm-hmm. it's because we continue to adjust to that. And so what you said, I think is so important is that many people don't believe it. So they just feel like, well, I got this raise, so I'm going to live my best life. I'm about to go and celebrate. I'm about to go and do this. Ooh, now mm-hmm. I can go and for you know, now I can go trade in my my uh, Kia and I can go get that Infinity, or I can go. There and you get, go. You know right. what I'm saying? And like, right. like upgraded hey, lifestyle. That Kia, you know, like <laughs> it's still you know it comes with a ten year warranty. It's only got sixty thousand miles. You know, <laughs> listen, this is my analytical side coming out. It, you know, you only five years in. It's going to be paid off next summer. And you want to go trade it in and get another five? No, man, no. Right. You know. Right. But I'm I'm glad you made that point, though. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, I'm glad you made the point about the job because I did. I put a post on there about you know your job wasn't created to make you wealth, but you can use it to build your empire, and that Mm. inspired me to create a whole post about it because you're right. We are not downplaying jobs like jobs give you. It can give you the foundation. I wrote a whole post about how you can use your job to create wealth. And one of those things is a job gives you an opportunity to hone your skills and to build new skills. You just have to go in 
with the eye of, I am increasing my value while I'm at this job and I am going to learn X, Y, and Z. And you can use that to your advantage, whether it be outside a job or inside the job to get promotions. It also gives you the opportunity to network with people that you probably wouldn't network before. And you know, they they say your, your network is your net worth. And so expand your mind, meet these different people, try different things. So I am not downplaying. Absolutely. We are not downplaying a job at all. We just have to look at it differently. Right. And look at how the job is going to get their value from you. That's why they pay you every two weeks. Now also look at it, how I can use these resources to build the empire for my family. So I'm glad you stopped and paused and made that comment because we're definitely on the same page for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, you know, part one of this interview, I've got a really good question. I, I got a question I've been wanting to ask you that just came back up in my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> what was the biggest hurdle that you had when you started your debt-free journey? The biggest hurdle. Because I'm sure it's hard to, you know, as a person that is big on shopping and big on buying what they want, especially when they get to a position to do it that they've never got to do it before, Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I got to stop this. So what was the, like, what was it that really kept you grounded that, okay, I'm going to do this and make this work? It it started with, and and I talk about this in all my posts, it starts with the mindset. And it wasn't that I was going into deprivation. I had a goal that I wanted and I wanted to get these rental properties. So I had to make a, a decision. And it, it, to me, it wasn't, I sacrificed some things, but it was because I could see that I was getting closer to my goal. So the, I would say the biggest hurdle before was it really was deciding that I am going to do this. And here is my plan to get it done. I talk about um, that even when I was paying off the debt, I had a small budget for entertainment and fun, right? Because I know that I needed to create a plan that I could live with, commit to, right? And not suffer through. And so, well, I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do. And, you know, I I don't like the word no. Um, (laughs) I changed no to not yet. Not yet. Oh, like, it'll good. come. That's it's just good. not yet. And so that inspired me to keep going. And especially when you, you start paying it down and you see the balances coming down and you start using cash. Because that's the thing. Once you're paying down the debt, you can't keep using debt. You have to switch to cash and only use what the cash you know, is available. Um, but yeah, it's the, the not yet. So it wasn't the deprivation at all. I wasn't eating ramen noodles. Unless I wanted to. Or, or um, was standing from a $2 cup of coffee? No, I got my tea <laughs> if I wanted to. I just had the money. I had the cash to do it. And if, when that cash was gone, that was it. Yeah. I was in here reading my book and looking outside. I don't know, doing whatever I wanted to do, but just not spending money. But it was as simple as that. Yeah. As simple as that. Wow. So Stephanie, thank you so much for a good part one. Uh, for you listeners out there, we wanted to kind of go over the, the, the way I wanted to landscape this was go over just the, the first part of the personal finance piece and, and, and getting things in there. In this second interview, uh, if you come back to the second part, we're going to discuss how to build wealth 
from your nine to five and what you have from your disposable income. So definitely stay tuned for the next episode. And Stephanie, will you be on here with us? Absolutely. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) So guys, we'll be back for part two of this. Make sure that you check that out and we'll be back here shortly. Thanks for listening to the Monetize Everything podcast with George Pitts. Visit us at georgepittsco.com for show notes and more resources on how to build wealth, improve your finances, and multiple streams of income all online.